the Bible, the most unique book in all of human history. It claims to be divine in origin, and it delivers a message that, if true, affects every human being on the planet Earth, in this life, and in whatever awaits us when this life is over. The Bible is unique in its survival. Over the past 2,000 years, no other book has been subjected to the intense scrutiny that the Bible has endured. Generations of linguists, historians, and archaeologists have explored the details of the Bible's production and tested the accuracy of its transmission to us today. Critics and foes have come and gone. Problems have been raised and solved, and still the Bible stands. Totally alone in the degree of its historical accuracy and reliability. The Bible is also unique in foretelling future events. The Old Testament alone contains over 2,000 specific predictions about people, cities, nations, and empires. Predictions made hundreds of years before being perfectly fulfilled in history. The Bible is unique in its influence. It's been called the fountainhead of Western civilization and is by far the most quoted text in America's founding documents. Millions of men, women, and children from every station and walk of life have felt the liberating, redeeming power of this book of books, and their changed lives have changed the world and the course of history. The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar is your opportunity to hear this unique book, the entire Bible, every year. Now, here's the host of The Bible Live, Soapy Dollar. And here we are. Thank you, Kevin Bell. Thank you, Brian, for being in the control room there. Good to see you, my friend. And thank you, folks, for joining us tonight for The Bible Live as we gather around the old book, continuing our way through the book of Job. The story was passed along through oral tradition or oral transmission for years. It is said that perhaps Moses wrote it down, along with the first five books of the Bible there in the wilderness about 1,450 years before Christ. Others have given other names, maybe even Elihu, the young man we'll be hearing from later on. We're going from chapter 18 through 24. We're going to hear from all three of Job's friends, Bildad, Zophar, and Eliphaz. These men were there to console their friend Job in his difficulties. And yet, since he won't say, this is because of my sin, it's become a confrontation instead of them consoling him in his pain and his grief. We'll be able to hear their arguments tonight, and we'll be able to hear Job respond to each one of them. We're also going to continue forward in our Wisdom and Worship segment. Tonight, Psalm 99, the theme of the psalm is praise for God's fairness. God is just and fair in all his ways. There is no bias, there's no partisanship, and he is holy, morally pure, and totally set apart. Because he is perfectly just and fair, you and I can trust him completely, without reserve, that he indeed will take us, and someday he will make all things right. Psalm 99. The Lord is king. Let the nations tremble. He sits on his throne between the cherubim. Let the whole earth quake. The Lord sits in majesty in Jerusalem, supreme above all the nations. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Your name is holy, mighty king, lover of justice. You have established fairness. You have acted with justice and righteousness throughout Israel. Exalt the Lord our God. 
bow low before his feet, for he is holy. Moses and Aaron were among his priests. Samuel also called on his name. They cried to the Lord for help, and he answered them. He spoke to them from the pillar of cloud, and they followed the decrees and principles he gave them. O Lord our God, you answered them. You were a forgiving God, but you punished them when they went wrong. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy mountain in Jerusalem. For the Lord our God is holy. End of reading, Psalm 99. This is the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. The book of Job, chapters 18 through 24. So we're going to be hearing, as I said before, Bildad's second speech. And then we'll have Job answer Bildad, then Zophar, then Job will answer him, then Eliphaz. And Job will answer him. We'll hear all of them tonight. Remember, Job is sitting there in his boils and his sores. He's lost his family, his ten children. He's lost all of his possessions, his homes, his herds, his wealth. And his three friends are there to comfort him. But it's turned into a conflict as they are accusing him and saying that all suffering must be because of sin in his life. And Job is slowly, slowly making his way to that great teaching point that that is not necessarily so there's another purpose to suffering. Job 18.1 through 24.25 Job 18 Then Bildad the Shuhite replied, How long before you stop talking? Speak sense if you want us to answer. Do you think we are cattle? Do you think we have no intelligence? You may tear your hair out in anger, but will that cause the earth to be abandoned? Will it make rocks fall from the cliff? The truth remains that the light of the wicked will be snuffed out. The sparks of their fire will not glow. The light in their tent will grow dark. The lamp hanging above them will be quenched. The confident stride of the wicked will be shortened. Their own schemes will be their downfall. The wicked walk into a net. They fall into a pit that's been dug in the path. A trap grabs them by the heel. A noose tightens around them. A snare lies hidden in the ground. A rope lies coiled on their path. Terrors surround the wicked and trouble them at every step. Their vigor is depleted by hunger, and calamity waits for them to stumble. Disease eats their skin. Death devours their limbs. They are torn from the security of their tent, and they are brought down to the king of terrors. The home of the wicked will disappear beneath a fiery barrage of burning sulfur. Their roots will dry up, and their branches will wither. All memory of their existence will perish from the earth. No one will remember them. They will be thrust from light into darkness, driven from the world. They will have neither children nor grandchildren nor any survivor in their home country. People in the West are appalled at their fate. People in the East are horrified. They will say this was the home of a wicked person, the place of one who rejected God. Job 19. Then Job spoke again. How long will you torture me? How long will you try to break me with your words? Ten times now you have meant to insult me. You should be ashamed of dealing with me so harshly. And even if I have sinned, that is my concern, not yours. You are trying to overcome me. 
using my humiliation as evidence of my sin. But it is God who has wronged me. I cannot defend myself, for I am like a city under siege. I cry out for help, but no one hears me. I protest, but there is no justice. God has blocked my way and plunged my path into darkness. He has stripped me of my honor and removed the crown from my head. He has demolished me on every side, and I am finished. He has destroyed my hope. His fury burns against me. He counts me as an enemy. His troops advance. They build up roads to attack me. They camp all around my tent. My relatives stay far away, and my friends have turned against me. My neighbors and my close friends are all gone. The members of my household have forgotten me. The servant girls consider me a stranger. I am like a foreigner to them. I call my servant, but he doesn't come. I even plead with him. My breath is repulsive to my wife. I am loathsome to my own family. Even young children despise me. When I stand to speak, they turn their backs on me. My close friends abhor me. Those I loved have turned against me. I have been reduced to skin and bones and have escaped death by the skin of my teeth. You're listening to the Bible live with Soapy Dollar. Have mercy on me, my friends. Have mercy, for the hand of God has struck me. Why must you persecute me as God does? Why aren't you satisfied with my anguish? Oh, that my words could be written. Oh, that they could be inscribed on a monument, carved with an iron chisel and filled with lead, engraved forever in the rock. But as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives and that He will stand upon the earth at last. And after my body has decayed, yet in my body I will see God. I will see Him for myself. Yes, I will see Him with my own eyes. I am overwhelmed at the thought. How dare you go on persecuting me, saying it's his own fault. I warn you, you yourselves are in danger of punishment for your attitude. Then you will know that there is judgment. Job 20 Then Zophar the Naamathite replied, I must reply because I am greatly disturbed. I have had to endure your insults, but now my spirit prompts me to reply. Don't you realize that ever since people were first placed on the earth, the triumph of the wicked has been short-lived, and the joy of the godless has been only temporary? Though the godless man's pride reaches to the heavens, and though his head touches the clouds, yet he will perish forever, thrown away like his own dung. Those who knew him will ask, where is he? He will fade like a dream and not be found. He will vanish like a vision in the night. Neither his friends nor his family will ever see him again. His children will beg from the poor, for he must give back his ill-gotten wealth. He was just a young man, but his bones will lie in the dust. He enjoyed the taste of his wickedness, letting it melt under his tongue. He savored it, holding it long in his mouth. But suddenly the food he has eaten turns sour within him, a poisonous venom in his stomach. He will vomit the wealth he swallowed. God won't let him keep it down. He will suck the poison of snakes. The viper will kill him. He will never again enjoy abundant streams of olive oil or rivers of milk and honey. His labors will not be rewarded. His wealth will bring him no joy. For he oppressed the poor and left them destitute. He foreclosed on their homes. He was always greedy but never satisfied. 
Of all the things he dreamed about, nothing remains. Nothing is left after he finishes gorging himself. Therefore his prosperity will not endure. In the midst of plenty he will run into trouble and disasters will destroy him. May God give him a bellyful of trouble. May God rain down his anger upon him. He will try to escape, but God's arrow will pierce him. The arrow is pulled from his body and the arrowhead glistens with blood. The terrors of death are upon him. His treasures will be lost in deepest darkness. A wildfire will devour his goods, consuming all he has left. The heavens will reveal his guilt, and the earth will give testimony against him. A flood will sweep away his house. God's anger will descend on him in torrents. This is the fate that awaits the wicked. It is the inheritance decreed by God. This is the Bible Life with Soapy Dollar. Job 21 Then Job spoke again. Listen closely to what I am saying. You can console me by listening to me. Bear with me and let me speak. After I have spoken, you may mock me. My complaint is with God, not with people. No wonder I'm so impatient. Look at me and be stunned. Put your hand over your mouth in shock. When I think about what I am saying, I shudder. My body trembles. The truth is that the wicked live to a good old age. They grow old and wealthy. They live to see their children grow to maturity, and they enjoy their grandchildren. Their homes are safe from every fear, and God does not punish them. Their bulls never fail to breed. Their cows bear calves without miscarriage. Their children skip about like lambs in a flock of sheep. They sing with tambourine and harp. They make merry to the sound of the flute. They spend their days in prosperity. Then they go down to the grave in peace. All this, even though they say to God, Go away. We want no part of you and your ways. Who is the Almighty and why should we obey Him? What good will it do us if we pray? But their prosperity is not of their own doing so I will have nothing to do with that kind of thinking. Yet the wicked get away with it time and time again. They rarely have trouble, and God skips them when he distributes sorrows in his anger. Are they driven before the wind like straw? Are they carried away by the storm? No, not at all. Well, you say, at least God will punish their children. But I say that God should punish the ones who sin, not their children. Let them feel their own penalty. Let their own eyes see their destruction. Let them drink deeply of the anger of the Almighty. For when they are dead, they will not care what happens to their family. But who can teach a lesson to God, the Supreme Judge? One person dies in prosperity and security, the very picture of good health. Another person dies in bitter poverty, never having tasted the good life. Both alike are buried in the same dust, both eaten by the same worms. Look, I know your thoughts. I know the schemes you plot against me. You will tell me of rich and wicked people who came to disaster because of their sins. But I tell you to ask those who have been around, and they can tell you the truth. Evil people are spared in times of calamity and are allowed to escape. No one rebukes them openly. No one repays them for what they have done. When they are carried to the grave, an honor guard keeps watch at their tomb. A great funeral procession goes to the cemetery. Many pay their respects as the body is laid to rest, and the earth gives sweet repose. How can you comfort me? All your explanations are wrong. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. 
Job 22. Then Eliphaz the Temanite replied, Can a person's actions be of benefit to God? Can even a wise person be helpful to him? Is it any pleasure to the Almighty if you are righteous? Would it be any gain to him if you were perfect? Is it because of your reverence for him that he accuses and judges you? Not at all. It is because of your wickedness. Your guilt has no limit. For example, you must have lent money to your friend and then kept the clothing he gave you as a pledge. Yes, you stripped him to the bone. You must have refused water for the thirsty and food for the hungry. After all, you think the land belongs to the powerful and that those who are privileged have a right to it. You must have sent widows away without helping them and crushed the strength of orphans. That is why you are surrounded by traps and sudden fears. That is why you cannot see in the darkness and waves of water cover you. God is so great, higher than the heavens, higher than the farthest stars. But you reply, that's why God can't see what I am doing. How can he judge through the thick darkness? For thick clouds swirl about him, and he cannot see us. He is way up there, walking on the vault of heaven. Will you continue on the old paths where evil people have walked? They were snatched away in the prime of life, and the foundations of their lives were washed away forever. For they said to God, Leave us alone. What can the Almighty do for us? But they forgot that he had filled their homes with good things. So I will have nothing to do with that kind of thinking. Now the righteous will be happy to see the wicked destroyed, and the innocent will laugh them to scorn. They will say, Surely our enemies have been destroyed. The last of them have been consumed in the fire. Stop quarreling with God. If you agree with him, you will have peace at last, and things will go well for you. Listen to his instructions and store them in your heart. If you return to the Almighty and clean up your life, you will be restored. Give up your lust for money and throw your precious gold into the river. Then the Almighty himself will be your treasure. He will be your precious silver. Then you will delight yourself in the Almighty and look up to God. You will pray to him and he will hear you and you will fulfill your vows to him. Whatever you decide to do will be accomplished and light will shine on the road ahead of you. If someone is brought low and you say, help him up, God will save the downcast. Then even sinners will be rescued by your pure hands. Job 23. Then Job spoke again. My complaint today is still a bitter one, and I try hard not to groan aloud. If only I knew where to find God, I would go to his throne and talk with him there. I would lay out my case and present my arguments. Then I would listen to his reply and understand what he says to me. Would he merely argue with me in his greatness? No, he would give me a fair hearing. Fair and honest people can reason with him, so I would be acquitted by my judge. I go east, but he is not there. I go west, but I cannot find him. I do not see him in the north, for he is hidden. I turn to the south, but I cannot find him. But he knows where I am going, and when he has tested me like gold in a fire, he will pronounce me innocent. For I have stayed in God's paths. I have followed his ways and not turned aside. I have not departed from his commands, but have treasured his word in my heart. Nevertheless, his mind concerning me remains unchanged. And who can turn him from his purposes? Whatever he wants to do, he does. So he will do for me all he has planned. He controls my destiny. No wonder I am so terrified in his presence. When I think of it, terror grips me. God has made my heart faint. 
The Almighty has terrified me. Darkness is all around me. Thick, impenetrable darkness is everywhere. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Job 24. Why doesn't the Almighty open the court and bring judgment? Why must the godly wait for him in vain? Evil people steal land by moving the boundary markers. They steal flocks of sheep, and they even take donkeys from the poor and fatherless. A poor widow must surrender her valuable ox as collateral for a loan. The poor are kicked aside. The needy must hide together for safety. Like the wild donkeys in the desert, the poor must spend all their time just getting enough to keep body and soul together. They go into the desert to search for food for their children. They harvest a field they do not own, and they glean in the vineyards of the wicked. All night they lie naked in the cold, without clothing or covering. They are soaked by mountain showers, and they huddle against the rocks for want of a home. The wicked snatch a widow's child from her breast. They take the baby as a pledge for a loan. The poor must go about naked without any clothing. They are forced to carry food while they themselves are starving. They press out olive oil without being allowed to taste it, and they tread in the wine press as they suffer from thirst. The groans of the dying rise from the city, and the wounded cry for help, yet God does not respond to their moaning. Wicked people rebel against the light. They refuse to acknowledge its ways. They will not stay in its paths. The murderer rises in the early dawn to kill the poor and needy. At night he is a thief. The adulterer waits for the twilight, for he says no one will see me then. He masks his face so no one will know him. They break into houses at night and sleep in the daytime. They are not acquainted with the light. The black night is their morning. They ally themselves with the terrors of darkness, but they disappear from the earth as quickly as foam is swept down a river. Everything they own is cursed so that no one enters their vineyard. Death consumes sinners, just as drought and heat consume snow. Even the sinner's own mother will forget him. Worms will find him sweet to eat. No one will remember him. Wicked people are broken like a tree in the storm, for they have taken advantage of the childless who have no protecting sons. They refuse to help the needy widows. God in his power drags away the rich. They may rise high, but they have no assurance in life. They may be allowed to live in security, but God is always watching them. And though they are great now, in a moment they will be gone like all others, withered like heads of grain. Can anyone claim otherwise? Who can prove me wrong? End of reading, Job 18.1 through 24.25. interesting the way the readings came out that we got to hear all three of the friends, Bildad, Zophar, and Eliphaz, and then after each one of them immediately to hear Job's response. We could start off with uh, Bildad's response. This is his second response to Job. Bildad is making a very powerful point. There is some truth to what they say. Yes, Evil and evil people will be ultimately judged and punished. Throughout the scriptures, we are told clearly that there will be 
a judgment on wickedness and evil. Wickedness and evil will be judged and destroyed And through grace, those who are repentant and turn from their sin and trust in him, God forgives their sin and God is sanctifying our lives. We will be saved that judgment because of God's redemptive plan, because of the Savior, because of Jesus, the Messiah. But that doesn't all take place in this lifetime. All the time we are on planet Earth in these bodies, that is not the time of that judgment. That total, final, ultimate judgment will not happen until we go into eternity. The other point is that Job is not among them. Bildad is assuming, accusing, that Job is among the wicked and the evil who are being punished and judged. And Job is not. We know that not only because of Job's declaration, but also we know the behind the story. That is true. Job is repentant, and he is a godly, righteous man living in God's grace and goodness. He is not an unrepentant sinner rebelling against God. And finally, not only is Job not among them, but suffering is not always a sure sign of sin or judgment. Job hits bottom in terms of his morale and his hope, but still he has this mighty proclamation in Job 19, I know that my Redeemer lives. My Redeemer, that's a Redeemer, one who purchases our salvation. He will stand upon the earth at last after my body has decayed, yet in my body I will see God. Job is still questioning why good people suffer, why wicked sometimes seem to prosper. Job brings that out in his argument with Zophar. Zophar says all evil people, bad things always happen to them. And Job said that's not true. Evil people often prosper, and good people do often suffer. Spiritually, those who rebel against God, they are always empty and shallow, just very temporary joys. It always brings sadness and despair. Sin robs and destroys, but not always in this life. Often, wicked people do seem to prosper. They get elected president. They get power. They get wealth. Goodness, on the other hand, always brings deep inner joy, always is spiritually satisfying. Generally speaking, it also brings health and safety and stability and success. That is true from even the Proverbs, but not always. Good people suffer as well. Why is that true? We'll talk about that tomorrow night, but remember, this life is about harvest, not about judgment. The Bible Live with Sophie Dollar. Sophie reads from the New Living Translation by Tyndale House Publishers. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping promote spiritual revival across America, and your financial support is needed. Please mail your tax-deductible gift to The Bible Live, Post Office Box 18888. That's The Bible Live, P.O. Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas, 78218. You may also make credit card donations at the ministry website, thebiblelive.com. Now don't forget, join us each weekday for The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Start today and in one year's time, we will read and respond together to the entire Bible. Let the most important word you hear each day be God's word.